Welcome to the hot seat. I'm Meg Muir, and I'm really excited about the episode that we have for today. We're going to spend some time talking about the art of bringing sellers and buyers together to successfully get a deal done. So joining me today from our internal team is Stephen Jost, Vice President on our Execution Team, and Davis Looney, Director of New Business Development on our Commercial Team. Gentlemen, welcome to the hot seat. Great to be with you, Meg. Glad to be here as well. Thanks so much for joining and, and spending the next hour with us. Um, I'm really excited about this conversation because, um, you know, buyer point of views to get a deal done and seller perspectives really in what matters most when taking your company to market, uh, two very different perspectives. And oftentimes it really does take uh, an art, right, to bring buyers and sellers together to accomplish a successful transaction. And so uh, I think you both will have some great perspectives to share uh, relative to your seats uh, on each side of the table. Um, so maybe just to get started, uh, Davis, uh, if you could provide a little bit of background on your role in the M&A process and at Tenney Group. Yeah. Um, so I've been with Tenney Group almost four years now. I actually started the same day as Stephen Jost. Um, oh. So I've been in, in his shadow for four years now. And <laughs> um, my role is to source new clients for us. So I spend a, a lot of my time just here in person around an event. Um, or just over a, a Zoom call, just getting to know owners of different uh, trucking and logistics companies across the country, understanding the ins and outs of their business, and um, initially just helping them understand you know what the market looks like and what what it takes to successfully exit a a trucking business, and ultimately when the time comes to actually you know press go on that, uh, I kind of help negotiate our contracts and 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 onboard new clients, and then I uh, pass them over to the highly um, sophisticated deal team, uh, usually led by Stephen Jost or uh, Ashesh Bansurga. I heard you're great at entertaining clients too, and uh, you know you you enjoy golf courses. Is that is that a fair statement? If I can if I can find a way to work anything into a round of golf, I will do whatever I can to make that happen. Uh, <laughs> or, or a fishing trip, you know, we can get creative. Um, <laughs> anything to keep me out of an office, more or less. Yeah. I like it. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, Stephen, what about you, your role in M&A and uh, with the Tenney organization? Yeah, sure, Meg. Um, well, as Davis alluded to, um, once we uh, execute the handoff, um, our team is, is really responsible for all phases uh, of, of deal execution. So uh, pre-marketing, kind of getting folks ready to go, understanding the key story, um, you know, understanding the financial and operational narrative, and ultimately of where we see uh, the market of potential transportation and logistics uh, buyers being excited uh, about an opportunity uh, and, and just getting to know our client, their goals, and uh, just ensuring that that uh, the way we go to market is going to honor uh, the outcomes that, that they desire and, and ultimately create the best uh, odds of success um, for our clients. And so from there, we, we, we go to market, we engage with um, you know, an appropriate number of, of parties, depending on the process, uh, mm -hmm. ultimately look to generate uh, options for, um, for our clients and, and really just create clarity and context for all parties uh, to efficiently screen opportunities. Uh, and then from there, uh, once we have an opportunity under letter of intent, uh, kind of shepherd the client through the, the due diligence and purchase agreement process, partnering with attorneys, CPAs, other advisors, uh, and ideally uh, getting to the closing table and 
uh, getting to celebrate and help our client enjoy uh, that next chapter of life. Yeah, it's really exciting and uh, great to hear the different stories of how they're spending their time after a transaction as well, uh, ways in which they've given back to their community and their employees. It's uh, probably one of my favorite parts of the job. Um, so Stephen, I would say uh, working with you has been a real treat uh, over my last six months joining Tenny Group. Um, I would say I've worked with a lot of different CPAs uh, in, in my background in transportation, and uh, I would argue you're probably one of the most detail-oriented CPAs I've ever had uh, the opportunity or privilege to work with. Uh, so maybe share with the audience a little bit about your background even before joining Tenny Group. Sure. Well, I thought you were going to tell me I had a lot of personality for a CPA. <laughs> instead, you went, went the route of I'm really detailed for a CPA. So setting my pride and ex excitement aside for a second. Um, <laughs> no, so my, my background, um, I, I come from a uh, kind of a CPA audit track. So had uh, almost four and a half great years with, with Deloitte uh, in Nashville. Um, so I, I think from a uh, financial standpoint, from a process standpoint, and just understanding how varying sizes of, of organizations and varying um, uh, industries, you know, approach the capital markets, report to the capital mm -hmm. markets, um, and, and ultimately, you know, the integrity of, of data was, was obviously paramount, but also just getting to work with a ton of incredible people uh, on my team and, and in our office, and, and then just nationally and internationally with a company like Deloitte, uh, just a, a fantastic place to start. Um, and then about four and a half years into that, and, and as my wife and I were, uh, been married for a few years and we're starting a family, uh, had, had a, uh, a friendship with, with Eric Heath, our senior vice president, they were looking to grow the team and opportunity came up and I, uh, got, got a wild hair and decided to try mm -hmm. my hand at transportation M&A. Love it. That's great. Um, so Davis, I'm going to kick it off with you. Um, can you share a little bit more about the types of deals that you're seeing in the market? Uh, really, what's hot? What's what's in high demand right now, from your perspective and the conversations that you're having uh, out out in the field? Yeah, I'll start just by saying, you know, the deals that we typically work on are going to be, you know, roughly twenty to three hundred million dollars in in annual revenue, um, and you know, that could be a myriad of different you know, ownership structures. Um, could be everything from family-owned company that started with a truck and a credit card to, you know, uh, a private equity-backed, you know, business who's looking to sell for the second or third time. Um, you know, right now it's been a uh, interesting uh, year on the freight front. Um, so, you know, everyone is experiencing that at different levels um, to the extent that, the, you know, a downturn in freight volumes has impacted their customers. Um, you know, mm -hmm. we, we've seen everything from people that are having great years and growing to people that have really had their legs cut out from them. So, um, you know, it's, it's made it an interesting deal environment in that coming out of the last two years, a lot of buyers, uh, larger strategics were still well capitalized. They've, they've made a lot of money in a really strong freight environment and have been looking to deploy that into, you know, either opportunities to diversify their customer base or their service uh, base. And um, also just to acquire some solid companies to de-risk themselves in a potentially forward-looking volatile environment. So um, I would say that, you know, we, we've seen a lot of activity recently. We, we had a final mile courier deal that we closed. We had a uh, dry bulk carrier that we closed and we had a, a freight brokerage that we closed and a, uh, intermodal drainage deal that we closed. Um, all of those are 
you know, verticals that we were excited about sure. last year uh, and we continue to be excited about forward looking. So um, yeah. it's been less about any specific mode that's been exciting. And it's more been about, you know, what that management team looks like, what that customer base looks like and, you know, what that owner wants the next season of their life to look like post-transaction. Yeah, great. No, that's wonderful. Um, so Stephen, on the buyer side, certainly that buyer pool also continues to grow and, uh, you know, growth via acquisition uh, remains top of mind for a lot of strategics in our space. Um, kind of talk to us, I mean, despite the macro environment uh, and the freight environment that Davis just mentioned over the past year, what are you hearing from buyers that are continuing to explore really investing in the TNL space right now? Sure. So I uh, would certainly echo several of the sentiments that, that Davis alluded to in, in his comments. Um, you know, for those that have been operating in, advising in, investing in the sector, well familiar uh, at, at this point in the volatility in the macro environment and the freight environment that really started late last year and certainly has uh, come on fairly heavily through this year. And, and I think uh, but by most accounts, I, I think sort of um, stabilizing at or near, uh, you know, ho hopefully a bottom uh, currently and, and looking up in the yeah. next year, starting to hear uh, some optimism uh, in, in comments on, on earnings calls and so forth. So that's certainly encouraging. And I think uh, stability is, is certainly one one catalyst for deal flow volatility being uh, more of a headwind. So sure. I, I think by all accounts, we've, we've gotten through. Um, some some of the worst, um, just just from a, a peak uncertainty perspective. But uh, to Davis's point, I, I think strategics are are faring very well and are, are are very opportunistic in the current market. I think coming off of 2021 and 2022, from a rate um, and equipment market standpoint, um, pretty well capitalized in, in most cases. So I think you're starting to see some pretty uh, opportunistic plays there um, to you know acquire, grow organically, buy back shares, et cetera. Um, and then I think you're also still seeing other folks um, outside of the strategic pool, um, whether that's private equity groups with a little bit of a newfound curiosity in the logistics mm -hmm. space. I think the um, global supply chain disruption, you know, through and post COVID uh, really uh, perked up the, the eyes and ears of a number of folks that had not previously considered investing in the space. So I, I think yeah. seeing um, some newfound interest in, in a variety of different ways. And I think also still seeing some interest from uh, more of the private fleet side. So um, shippers or, or others that have an existing fleet or you know, are curious about starting one um, just to continue to grab more and more control of their supply chain and mitigate risk of some of the disruption that we've experienced the last few years. So I think still seeing that interest, but I would say today, um, you know, strategics are, are certainly um, a, a key, a key pool for us. And, Really taking a step back, obviously, there's a lot to say about COVID and post-COVID trends and, and kind of where we're getting out of that. But um, independent of COVID, I, I think there's certainly a wave of consolidation in the space. I think there's just immense benefits to scale. Um, there's an aging population of owners, et cetera. So I, th I think those documented reasons are still alive and well, still, uh, you know, longer term uh, tailwinds, so, so to speak, for deal flow. Uh, and so yeah. certainly still experiencing those as well. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Um, you know, finally starting to see tender rejection rates raise, right? Hopefully that's a sign that the bottoming out has happened and we're on the right trajectory, certainly. 
Um, I like your comment about shippers too, because uh, oftentimes when we're in the field and we're talking to prospective sellers, um, it's a group of buyers that they don't necessarily think about frequently, right? And um, we've done some interesting deals with Ashley Furniture and Red Bull, uh, where they wanted to vertically integrate their their supply chain by acquiring transportation companies. And certainly, I think there's more in that space. So that's always an interesting um, conversation when we're meeting with prospective sellers as well. Um, great, great overview, Stephen. Um, so Davis, uh, what are sellers really looking to accomplish during transitionary periods? Um, I think you'd have a lot of great perspective here. Um, maybe walk us through not only obviously the economic needs uh, of the sellers, but maybe some non-economic needs uh, as well that, that are usually part of these transactions. Yeah, I, I would say that you know, on the front end of any conversation, um, which is actually similar to what Joseph and his team actually tries to undercover with a buyer, is I'm trying to understand, you know, what from a total consideration are, are, is a, an owner's expectation, uh, what do they need, how are they willing to receive that, um, and what ultimately do they want to the next season of their life to look like. And so for some owners, you know, they have brought the business to a place where, you know, it's achieved some scale and um, they've created a successful, sustainable organization, but they know that in order for it to really continue growing, they need to partner with a large organization that can provide additional resources that yeah. they're either unwilling to commit or um, you know, not able to access at this time. And so in that situation, we see a lot of folks who are excited to, to find someone that they culturally align with that, mm -hmm. um, you know, they believe they can learn a lot from in this next season and sure. sell the business on, you know, to them so where they can dive in and continue to see it grow. Um, other times there's, you know, folks who, ideally would like to sell the business, hand over the keys and hit the beach. And I completely <laughs> respect that. Um, that is not usually uh, the you know, play out that way. Uh, usually there's needs to be at least six months to a year of, you know, ownership management, being able to help transition the business successfully in order to de-risk that transaction for a buyer. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that on the front end, what we're trying to do is just make sure we're aligned on value expectations um, to the extent that is reasonable, obviously you know, sure. we can't have a crystal ball and say, this is exactly to the dollar, what a buyer is going to be willing to pay for this. And, you know, ultimately the market decides that, but sure. based on the amount of transaction volume we see, we can have a, a pretty, you know, a pretty detailed expectation of what that's going to look like. Um, just to make sure that, you know, we're not going to work too early. Um, and, and then also just, help and understand the culture, um, what would someone, you know, what their business uh, looks like in, in, you know, what they value and what they would like to see that next chapter of their life to look like so that we can hopefully pair them with a buyer that appreciates those things and makes that, you know, most likely to outcome available. Yeah, no, I think that's great. We had um, one story from a couple of years ago now that I always found interesting, which was um, a company that we had listed that was in a mid-sized market, um, probably on the smaller side. Uh, and the sellers, uh, it was really important to them, not only the economic side of it, but the non-economic, uh, which was 
our team, not only the executive team, but our, all of our employee base uh, has great tenure with the organization. And we're in a small, mid-sized market. And it was really important for them that um, they stay in that market, right? And so for that specific transaction, they had a couple different offers, two of which were from very large publicly traded companies. They actually went with the second most um, economical uh, uh, option, right? Because they were going to keep that location and not relocate all of their employees. And so I think it's really great as we kind of unpack the needs of different sellers uh, to really peel back the onion and understand, of course, there's a financial outcome that we're always striving to achieve, but there's usually secondary or tertiary needs that sometimes are equally, if not more important than, than the financial outcome for a lot of people that are selling. And so meeting the needs um, globally, right, or, or holistically for that seller are really, really important uh, as part of the process. So. Um, Stephen, I'll flip it back to you just quickly. Um, is there anything specifically that you didn't hit on previously that um, you would say are key motivators for buyers looking to pursue acquisitions specifically in TNL? Is there anything more you'd want to add to that? Yeah. So one one way to to maybe think about this, uh, just from you know the, the hundreds of, of buyer conversations we've had over, over the last several years, I, I would sort of maybe put uh, motivation into a couple different buckets broadly. Um, one being capacity, one being the other being capabilities, and, and the, the, the mm -hmm. two are certainly not uh, mutually exclusive. Meaning, I, yeah. I think there are some deals that are both capacity and capability motivated. But I think in different um, market conditions, the the, the the key driver of of boards and investment committees uh, and management teams pursuing and executing on M and A uh, tends to, to be more motivated by one or the other. And, and I'll elaborate on those a bit. So. From a capacity standpoint, typically we're talking about adding rolling stock, trucks, trailers, drivers, uh, or just generally um, trying to you know, increase our scale, achieve economies of scale, save on fuel, insurance, leverage, driver, recruiting, retention capabilities, et cetera. Um, that is, is certainly one play. And then from a capability standpoint, that's probably more focused on the management team, uh, IT, you know, tech capabilities, um, customers, mm -hmm. end markets the diversification those could offer, just ways that you can either uh, catalyze growth or de-risk um, the operating model from, from the buyer's perspective. So yeah. um, I think what we've seen over the last few years is in 2021 and, and two, just given the tight driver and equipment markets, there was a lot mm -hmm. of um, capacity motivation. Like we have all this freight, we have great rates, we just yeah. need some of these other inputs um, that we yep. can't just go get on our own. We can't snap our fingers. We can't just throw money at it. We 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 need to um, acquire to to be able to capitalize on these opportunities that are available. But within yep. the window that they're available, we need we need to uh, you know consider M and A. And then mm -hmm. in the current environment, where I would say um, the driver market has loosened slightly, equipment is is arguably a little bit more available. Uh, not cheaper certainly, but a little bit more available. Um, yep. Just with with OEMs catching back up. Uh, yep. from, from their supply chain constraints. Um, I, I think that the pendulum has shifted more to a capability motivation. I think given that the tougher environment we're operating in, um, I think things like end market diversification, customer diversification, and just folks that operate in, in niches or spaces that are um, a little bit more enduringly profitable um, are, yeah. are attracting a bit more interest today than, than maybe other folks that um, were purely, hey, I need to add 100 trucks or I need yep. to open a, a brokerage office in this location. Um, so, so I think that, that's a little bit of how I think about motivation and, and how that oscillates with market conditions. 
Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, revenue diversification, essentially. And oftentimes, we're seeing that in complementary or adjacent services, right, where it's they're able to cross-sell with their current client base and, and kind of create um, a wider ecosystem for their customer base to live within. And so um, I think that's great insight. Um, so Davis, we're going to we're gonna jump into bridging valuation gaps, right? And, and our team has certainly had to get creative whenever we're bridging those valuation gaps, certainly in the market today between buyers and sellers. Um, so expectations have changed, certainly pre-COVID and, and post-COVID. Um, maybe talk a little bit about the valuation process, uh, how we differentiate ourselves in the market, um, maybe highlight a little bit about our, our go-to-market strategy, um, or our, our meeting in Franklin, uh, where, where a client typically comes to the office. Uh, maybe just give us a high-level overview of, of Tenny Group and how we play in the space. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that, rightly so, um, it's, it's, it's not typical that we have an initial conversation with someone and their expectation of value aligns with ours. Um, and that is, like I said, rightly so. If, if you are pouring your blood, sweat, and tears into a company day after day for years, you should have a high expectation that, you know, it's going to drive a, a large outcome. So um, what we'd like to do is take a purely educational approach at the front end. Um, if you have no desire to exit, I'd still love, you know, in the next 10 years, I'd still love to have that conversation today just to have, you know, a, a kind of a level set expectation of like, hey, here's the value today. And then here's what we see that drives better outcomes as you build the business going forward. Um, yeah. So that we're not having that conversation, you know, 10 years down the road when, you know, they actually want to exit or need to exit. And that, you know, any misconception around value is, um, you know, kind of unpacked then. I'd rather get out ahead of that so that people can plan and build um, in, you know, in the direction that, is going to benefit them most. So typically how we do that is, you know, at a high level, just having a, a conversation where they can just dump all as much information as I can get out of them about mm -hmm. just what they do um, and you know, what their customer base looks like, uh, what their growth has looked like over a period of time, what their management team looks like, uh, what growth is available to them. And then just taking a look, a high level look at the last three years um, you know, P&L's most recent term balance sheet, um, maybe having an understanding of the, the assets and, uh, you know, the, the value there at a high level, but sure. really just trying to take a 30,000 foot view of everything and just say, Hey, big picture here. This is where we would expect, um, you know, offers to be made if you were to go to market today. Um, sure. here's some yellow flags maybe that would say, Hey, you know, it's not a deal breaker, but um, it, it might be something that if you're looking to continue building the business that you we would suggest sure. maybe pivot on. Yep. And hopefully this doesn't happen, but sometimes it does where there's like, Hey, there's a, there's a red flag here and I'd rather get that out now and address it now rather than having you know, spend time and money to go to market, have a buyer find it and it, you know, crush the opportunity of the deal or negatively impact the, the amount of money that you can, ultimately take home. So um, that's what we're trying to do on the front end is just yep. make sure that we're all aligned. Um, and ultimately, once we um, you know, bring on a client, Steve and his team do a phenomenal job diving in to you know, really get under the hood of the business. Um, and then we do a second round of that kind of initial estimated proceeds analysis where um, prior to going to market, we're actually 
diving in extremely deep again, yep. laying out our list of buyers and saying, hey, before we actually you know, bring this in front of a buyer, we'll just make sure we're all on the same page here. After everything we've learned, these are the buyers we think are going to be most interested. And this is, again, where we would estimate 80% of our offers to come in. So again, everything is transparent and we're just ensuring that alignment is um, is maintained throughout the process. Yeah, I love that. I mean, at that point of signing an engagement with us and when an organization is ready to sell, uh, we do invite our clients up to Franklin for an in-person meeting with our team, both the commercial team, but also our execution team. And that's really probably one of my favorite parts of the process because it is such an intimate, personal process, right? And so whenever you're able to sit around the table with um, you know, uh, the, the organization selling, but also their key advisors and our team together, that's a great go-to-market strategy meeting where we're co-creating that buyer list together. Uh, confidentiality is just incredibly important in this space, right? Because um, in transportation, as we all know, everyone knows everyone. And so making sure that we create the right outreach uh, because it is so personal uh, that's really important, right? Our organization, we're not doing CRM blast to 3,000 organizations. We're picking 30, 40 key contacts and personally going out and having direct conversations with individuals who we're meeting with on an ongoing basis. We're attending 40 to 50 industry events, right? And so um, we're trying to reverse engineer and understand the acquisition strategy of our buyers uh, in advance of, of um, you know, bringing uh, the right type of relevant opportunities to them, uh, which ultimately uh, impacts the success rate, right? And so I think that's really important. Um, I think that's great advice, Davis. Um, and I would just add, even in your example, you said, hey, 10 years out, we can also help on value drivers, right? How do we increase sure. value drivers over that time period? Um, uh, just a quick example, I have a gentleman who um, is on a shorter path. He's probably two to three years out um, away from selling. And I met with him a couple months ago. And he said, Meg, we're finally to the point where we have a decent amount of overflow, um, you know, tender initiations that I cannot accept on my assets. I really want to create a brokerage division and I really want to um, help my customers further than I've been able to on, on my own assets today. And so part of his strategy is creating that brokerage revenue diversification, profit diversification, um, and, and doing that in advance of a sale. And so we've also been able to, I think, um, add a lot of value to prospective sellers in advance of selling just by plugging them into our network, um, connecting them with different advisors, whether that's uh, executive recruiters that specialize in the transportation space to build out their teams, CPAs, attorneys, you know, tax specialists, wealth advisors, uh, and that's all part of the educational process, like you mentioned, that can really better position uh, prospective sellers when they are ready to go to market. Uh, so I think those are great, great comments, uh, Davis. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so Stephen, I know we're getting to the end here. Um, you know, we've certainly had to get creative, like I said, on a lot of deals, um, making sure that we bridge these gaps and, and actually close these transactions. Um, and we have had some great success um, closing four deals in the last 120 days. Um, so we've been able to do that. Uh, maybe share with us ways in which we've been able to bridge those gaps from your perspective on the execution team uh, and how our team's been able to add value throughout that process of selling an organization. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe to, to start with a general uh, comment on creativity, um, certainly tempting, you know, for, for me as a former CPA, for our team with a more technical analytical background to, to really like to open the playbook of you know, the, the infinite number of possibilities to, uh, to, to value and structure a, a, a transaction. 
Um, and, and I think that's good. I think it's good to have those those clubs in your bag. I, but, you know, from experience seeing, you know, dozens of deals actually close, I think what we find is uh, the, the simplest form of, of an acceptable outcome for both parties is likely going to win the day. Um, and, mm-hmm. and so I think really just leaning in and, and listening to the goals of the parties and then doing our job to create context um, mm-hmm. a, around, uh, you know, the, the information at play as they're making decisions around that. Um, is, is probably the, the best strategy and really uh, adding layers of structure if and only if necessary um, to try to solve for a, a material um, goal of one party or both parties in a transaction. But with that being said, I mean, certainly the uh, evolution of the freight and capital markets in the last 12 months has necessitated um, some evolution and some creativity. And so, you know, certainly on the on the asset base side, as, as the used equipment market has swung pretty meaningfully lower, um, yeah. that, you know, as you think about the capital structure of a transaction, you know, historically speaking, or, or in certain environments, the, you know, the majority, if not the totality of the debt can be supported uh, by the value of the fleet. Uh, and, and when, you know, that drops by 30 to 40%, you can certainly create, in many instances, a gap um, that you need to consider filling you know, and, and that gap can only be filled in, in so many ways. Uh, and, and ideally, the answer for our clients is, is not price reduction, right? So I, I think just knowing um, how to use thoughtfully structured subordinated debt, whether that's a seller note, whether that's MES uh, financing, things like preferred equity, um, just different ways that you can fill out the capital structure of a transaction that will allow for sufficient flexibility, risk allocation, et cetera, not only to get the deal done, but but really allow the business to be, um, you know, flexible enough and able to execute operationally um, yeah. through whatever environment th- that it's in. So I, I think that certainly has become more more top of mind in, in the last few months uh, as equipment rates have fallen, interest rates have risen, uh, and then just from an earnings perspective, like to the extent you're looking at more of an income approach, um, when freight rates are, are volatile, when when all measures of performance of, of transportation companies have been volatile through COVID, um, you know, aligning on what a normal view of earnings is has certainly been an, yep. an interesting exercise to say the least. So, um, you know, we, we, we've really worked hard to think through where it makes sense to add structure, something like an earnout or other contingent consideration um, that, that really, you know, provides a way to, uh, you know, mitigate that risk without just kind of forcing the parties to agree on a set number with, you know, sure. the hundred factors that are, that are impacting that historical data. So uh, yeah, it, it's been, it's been interesting, have had to get a bit more creative here recently, but um, you know, certainly something that is uh, enjoyable when done in the right kind of collaborative relational tone uh, between the parties. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And one of the questions that we get frequently is tell me a little bit about the process early on. So um, whenever we have a, a client who's interested in going through this process with our organization, um, maybe give us a quick summary of maybe the first 30 days, that snapshot right out of the gate. Um, what does that process look like, Stephen, that, that your team is running them through? Yeah, absolutely. So we love to hit the ground running, uh, immediately take a deep dive on financial and operational elements of the business, and then parlay that into ensuring that on the financial side, we've got a uh, meaningful picture of historical and where appropriate forward-looking results um, to present for context to the market, uh, a pretty good overview of the operating model, really understanding what the key 
um, growth drivers and constraints to growth have been just as we think through marketing strategy and, and who uh, might make sense to approach with this opportunity. Um, sure. And then from there, you know, weeks three and four are really very collaborative with our clients as we put the finishing pieces on marketing materials, on marketing strategy. And, and we really like to be out the door, you know, with, with around that 30 day mark. Um, yeah. and, and certainly if, in instances where there's complexity, I, I, I think we want to, we want to get out the door, right. But, but certainly speed is, is paramount, um, just, yeah. just from the perspective of minimizing fatigue. So we, we really mm -hmm. like to align expectations with our client day zero, and then hit the ground running and, and make sure we're out the door on time. That's great. All right. So uh, top piece of advice for sellers. So maybe Davis, I'll start with you. Um, what would you offer to uh, folks that might uh, look towards going you know, down this process with us in the near term? Yeah, I, I would just say, you know, it's never too early to have that initial conversation. Um, I think, again, putting the right team together and um, knowing that you're starting at the right time is probably the the, the largest indicator of success. Um, we, we onboarded a client this morning um, that I've been talking to for probably a year and a half and probably been the breaks uh, for the majority of that time. Um, but I guess we'll see. Um, the business is in a, a much better place now um, to where I think the outcome that they wanted uh, you know, a year and a half ago is much more down the middle than you know, maybe the high side of reasonable then. Um, and I think it's going to make just this a, a better, um, smoother process for everyone involved. And so uh, I think okay. just having that initial conversation early is mm -hmm. you know, the, the most likely, um, puts you in a position to most likely have them a successful outcome. Sure. Yeah. What about you, Stephen? Any advice that you would offer to prospective sellers who are about to embark upon the process? Yeah, I, I think it's important just to, to clearly define your goals um, for, for your exit, financial, non-financial. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and I would say just remain on, on those most important goals, just remain principled on the goal, but, but flexible on the means. And so um, I, I think there are often times where a seller can approach the market with a preconceived notion of some of the specifics of, of what a deal can look like, whether that's tax structure or mm -hmm. structure of consideration or whether I want to go approach a strategic versus a financial buyer or, or some of the other things that you can have preconceived notions on. But I would say open-mindedness is key in terms of how the process is going to play out, but um, certainly being upfront with, with you know, yourself, your team, your family, your advisor, all the key uh, stakeholders on, on your yeah. bench, so to speak, that, that are shepherding you and walking with you through the process, uh, being very upfront about what those goals are so that you know, holistically, we can all come alongside you, support you, guide you um, towards those ends. I, I think obviously, you know, we, we can we can run a process that maximizes value. But, you know, to some of Meg's comments from earlier, if um, that doesn't provide the, the off ramp to get you more time and capacity in your life or uh, it's not the right operational fit or it's not right for your people, then, uh, you know, we, we don't want to go uh, focus on those options on your behalf. So I, I think having uh, you know, put some thought into that up front and, and just being very open to that. And also just acknowledging that that does evolve, that can evolve throughout a process. So just being, again, upfront with yourself and with your advisors um, as that does evolve throughout a process, um, that just allows us to, to be a better uh, advisor and support you to whatever end uh, the process leads you. Yeah, absolutely. 
All right, so we like to end the segment with a fun fact. Uh, so I know you guys aren't prepared for this question, but the question is, tell the audience a fun fact about yourself that they might not know. So with that, I will start with Davis. Davis, can you tell us a little bit something might be interesting about yourself or your background that our audience doesn't know about? I will say that um, prior to Tinning Group, I spent uh, eight years in international nonprofit ministry work. So um, that led me to spend a little over a year in Uganda after college. And uh, while there, I, I was baptized in the Nile River uh, by a guy that was on season two of the real world. So uh, <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> that's a pretty narrow niche back there. Um, yeah. No, that's great. You've done a lot of great work for nonprofits and you've had a wonderful uh, career and, and traveled the world and you've got um, more stories than most. And uh, it's a really neat, really neat background, Davis. Uh, what about you, Stephen? So something that the audience probably has picked up on by now is that I am less interesting than Davis. Um, <laughs> but something that, you know, for, for a recovering CPA, I would say the most interesting concert I've been to was seeing Usher play in a minor league hockey arena in Northern Ireland. That, oh, that wow. was a unique uh, experience for, for a guy like myself. That's awesome. Uh, and congratulations, third baby on the way. Uh, very you. happy for you, Stephen. All right, guys. Well, that does it, folks. Thank you guys so much for both being here, uh, both sides of the house, talking about uh, kind of what helps bring buyers and sellers together. Thank you for educating us today. Uh, until next time. 